Baptist uh, Convention as uh, part of the evangelism team. And so uh, I'm excited uh, to share God's word with you this morning. Uh, but before that, I just want to take some time uh, and say thank you. Uh, thank you, Red House, for, uh, for partnering uh, directly with the college campus, directly with the BCM at EKU. Uh, it's because of your local support, uh, not only here in Richmond, but your support through the cooperative program, uh, that we've seen God do incredible things uh, on the college campus. Um, just reflecting over the past few years, God has multiplied our ministry time and time again, where we're seeing over 200 college students who are regularly attending small group Bible studies, who are participating in weekly worship, who uh, come to Thursday night dinner uh, and have conversations around a meal about the gospel. Uh, and it's hard to, to cal- calculate the, uh, the number of times our students are sharing the gospel. And I'm, I'm hearing reports every day, students are saying, hey, I, I got to share the gospel with uh, my roommate or this person in my class or this family member. Uh, but as I was trying to like figure out how, how what, what's the good pulse for, uh, for evangelism on estimate around 500 gospel conversations are happening just this past semester uh, with our students, our student leaders, and our staff team. And so I'm encouraged to see the passion of of our college students. I was talking with with two freshman girls. These are freshmen. They just got to college, and I was talking with them, and they were, we just got back from our our fall retreat uh, at Crossings Camp, and um, they were saying, hey, so we did something, and, and we just want to share it with you. And I was like, please. They said, we, we went to every, every door in our dorm, and we knocked on the door, and we invited them to the BCM. We invited them to, to a game night so that we could share the gospel with them. These are just two girls saying, I want to be faithful to the gospel. I'm just going to go knock on every door that's around me, and I'm going to invite them to know Jesus. Um, I, was, I was talking with some student leaders uh, at, uh, at our, our meetings that we have on Mondays, and uh, several of them are saying, hey, I've got a, a major, uh, maybe it's uh, uh, hard and, uh, of hearing and deaf, or maybe it's finance, or whatever it is, and they're, they're seeing their, their sphere of influence, they're saying, how can I leverage the gospel where I'm at right now in life? And so they're starting Bible studies that are entry-level Bible studies to, with students who, who do not know Jesus. Uh, and so time and time again, we're seeing the faithfulness of God show up uh, in the BCM because of this church and your partnership in the gospel. So thank you uh, so much for, uh, for your support. Well, as, as we move into this next season of our lives, where, where Thanksgiving is on the forefront of our brains and, and Christmas is soon to follow, um, I want to bring a text to us this morning that, that might sound a little strange um, to, to use in a season like this, but I think it's timely. holiday season um, can be difficult, right? It, it, there's difficulties arise when families get together, uh, when, when you have extended family coming in, and, and maybe they don't believe the same things you believe. They don't value the same things that you value, or, or maybe it could be challenging because you might be here and recognizing this, this holiday season, maybe the first time you're, you're celebrating without a loved one. Thanksgiving and your Christmas, and you're not real sure, you're uncertain of what it's going to look like. You, you don't have the plans there, and, 
however your Thanksgiving or your Christmas is going to look like, I want us to look at this text this morning and and see how it's going to reshape, how it's going to reshape our thoughts and, and how we respond in every circumstance with Thanksgiving and rejoicing. And so we're going to be looking at 1 Peter chapter 4, beginning in verse 12. Uh, going through verse 19. So if you have your copy of God's Word, I invite you to turn to 1 Peter chapter 4. We'll begin in verse 12. Verse 12 of 1 Peter chapter 4. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But... Rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you're insulted for the name of Christ, you're blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name this time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome of those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous are scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Let's pray. Father, we, we come to you this morning uh, anticipating uh, your spirit Empowering us, speaking to us. Lord, I pray our hearts would be convicted. Lord, that you would show us your grace, your mercy. You promise is new every single morning. May we cling to the cross of Christ. May we walk in freedom, knowing that we have been set free. Lord, be with us this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Why would I be afraid to die for Jesus? God told me that I would experience persecution. So why would I be afraid to die for my Jesus? These were the words that a a young Asian woman said to me when I was in East Asia, um, sitting across the dinner table at a rundown Chinese, well, it was not Chinese, but it was a restaurant in that country that's over there in East Asia. Uh, And I took this this vision trip, mission trip, uh, to to help my twin brother who, who works for the IMB as a missionary over there. And we took this trip to, to scout out the land, to figure out what the culture is like. Now, this city that we were in was, was had a population of 4 million people. Uh, it's a relatively small city in this area. Uh, but amongst these 4 million people, only or less than 1% of 4 million have heard of the name Jesus, let alone believed on him. Less than 1% of this 4 million city has heard the name of Jesus because Christianity in this part of the world is illegal. And so we found this, this one East Asian believer living in the same area that my brother and his family would be serving in through this small underground church. And we asked if we could meet with her uh, to, to discuss, like, what is it, what's it like living as a Christian under persecution? What is it like to live where Christianity is outlawed? where you could die for your faith. And so, as my brother translated her words, we, we met her at uh, this, this run-down restaurant, and I was struck by how 
also how dogmatic she was about following Christ. She told us that she, is, that she had been seeing for the past several weeks um, just brothers and sisters in Christ disappear. They're just gone. They were here, and now they're gone. And they're just disappearing day after day. And I said, are you afraid of this? She said, no. She smiled. She said, no. The, the word of God promises that we would experience things like this, so I'm not surprised by it. She says, we, we have counted the cost as Christians. We understand that this will cost us our lives. <laughs> and it's worth it. It's worth it to follow Jesus. And so despite her circumstance, her, despite the, the trials and the, the real threats to her life, this is where she lives. But despite that, she's rejoicing. She's responding with thankfulness. Because she says Christ is all that she needs. So she can rejoice in her suffering. And that's exactly what Peter is saying to the church in our text this morning. Our text is dealing with this question, how do we rejoice with thanksgiving in every circumstance, even when life is challenging and and uncertain and fearful? Verse 12, Peter starts with, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. So first I want us to see that difficult times are not a surprise, but they're a plan. So Peter starts this with a new section, and the previous verses, if you look back in, in your Bible, it, he says, uh, in glory and dominion forevermore, amen. So he concludes this, that section with a benediction, and now he starts this new thought with, the, with addressing the church. He says, beloved, do not be surprised. He starts off with an imperative, with an authoritative command. He's saying, don't be surprised. Now, I think it's helpful for us to get a context to where we are in Scripture and in redemptive history. He starts this off uh, talking to the early church. This is about 30 years after Jesus has ascended, around 62 AD. And the church is under heavy persecution. Christians are being put to prison. They're being put to death. In fact, the emperor Nero, who uh, was the emperor at the time, would use Christians as torches to light the roads so they could see. You just have burning corpses on the side of the street so that people can see where they're going. And so Peter's writing to this church, the church who's experiencing the persecution, but he's also writing to the people of God. He's writing to the redeemed, the, the church of today, the, you and me in this moment. So the word is alive, it is living, and it is active. Sharper than any two-edged sword. So Peter's writing to us, but it's interesting to note that he starts off this with a command to not be surprised. It almost seems as if the the church needed to be reminded of something, of how to respond when they experience persecution. But if we we double-click on that and ask that question, why did Peter feel the need to to tell the church to not be surprised? Well, I I think it's because Peter understands human nature. Peter understands the human nature that that we want control. We want control over our circumstances. We want to have a pulse on the things around us so that we can, can control what's taking place around us. When our situations don't unfold the way that we think that they should, 
oftentimes maybe we get frustrated or we get anxious or fearful. We're often surprised when, when our perfect plans don't unfold the way that we wish they would. Have you ever had a really bad customer service experience? I'm sure all of you have. We've, we've all been there. Well, uh, at the end of February last year, I had this, I had planned this incredible adventure day with my family. I was going to wake them up, I was going to surprise them, and I was going to take them to the Newport Aquarium. And so I buy the tickets, and and I wake up my, my sons, and, and uh, we, we get in the car, and I'm telling them all the fish and the sharks and, and all the, the adventures that we're going to have, and it's going to be awesome. So we get to the Newport Aquarium, and uh, I, I, I hand my tickets to the ticket lady, and it's 9.30 in the morning. We get there. There's no one in line. This is going to be perfect. We're going to walk right in, and it's going to be awesome. Well, the ticket lady looked at me and she said, uh, Sir, these, this ticket is for 5.30 p.m. today. And I was like, hmm. well, I just bought these and it, and it was at 9.30. And it's 9.30 right now. Is there, there's no one here, ma'am. Is there any way you could just like let us in? She said, I'm sorry. Your ticket's at 5.30 p.m. today. I like, ma'am, I've got four children and my wife. And we, we just drove here from Kentucky. And you sure? She's like, no, 5.30. I was like, Okay. All right then, well, um, here's the tickets back. Can I return them? She's like, you can return them. Okay, well, at least that's good. So then I, I Google attractions. I'm like, what else can I do? This is, I'm determined this day will be fun, right? Like, I want to be that dad. We're going to have a good time. And w- whatever happens, it's going to be good. So I Google attractions. And I see that there is a, the Cincinnati Zoo. Okay, this is perfect. Uh, and so I, I buy the tickets right there. We get in the car. We load everybody up. We drive to the Cincinnati Zoo. And... Um, and then we get to the ticket office, man, tickets these days. She said, sir, these tickets expired four months ago. I was like, ma'am, I promise you, here's, here's the, the time slot. I just bought these. Like, I just bought them. Can you please let us in? Again, there's no one in line. We're the only family out in the middle of February at the zoo. And she's like, no, no, there's a ticket office down the road, though. You can go to that. I was like, really? She's like, yeah. I was like, okay, okay. So I head down. I walk to the ticket office, I grab my second pair of zoo tickets for the day, bring it back, and I show up to this lady, and she acts like we've never had an encounter before. Like, I'm brand new. There's no one around. I'm obviously the only guy in line. And she looks at me and smiles and says, y'all have a nice day. And uh, so we go through the, the little turmoil thing, and, and we get about halfway through the zoo when I realize a really important point. Oh, by the way, it started raining. I forgot that detail. And we're, we're dressed for the aquarium, uh, not for outside February. But halfway through the zoo, I recognize, um, this is a pro tip, there are no animals at the zoo in the month of February. They're all somewhere else. So we're just walking through this wasteland in the rain. It's cold. My kids are crying. I want to have a strong, fun adventure day, but this, nothing happens. It was, it was horrible, horrible, horrible. So despite all my efforts in like trying to control this narrative, I want this to be happy. I want everybody to, re, to be rejoicing, and this is an adventure, and it just keeps getting met with failure after failure, and I can't control anything. But that's, that's our nature, right? As humans, we, we want to control things around us, but when, contro- when our control meets chaos... We get frustrated, we get anxious, we get our expectations were here and then they're not met. And so now we're maybe angry. And so now 
We hear in, in our text, the early church, now, they were surprised, the, the early church wasn't surprised by a bad customer experience, no. They were surprised by persecution, real persecution that they were experiencing from Emperor Nero. And Peter knows human nature, and so he tells them their current reality. He sets their expectation for them. He says, hey, church, you're going to be persecuted. Don't be surprised. He sets their expectation by showing them their current reality. In verse 12, beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon to test you as though something strange were happening to you. He's saying, do you, do you not realize what you signed up for? You, you, if you want to follow Christ, if you want to be a follower of Jesus, you will suffer with Jesus. Right? Jesus, he didn't say, put down your cross, sit on the couch, and watch Netflix. But Jesus said, pick up your cross and follow after me. Peter is saying the Christian life ain't easy. He said it would be. We should expect hardships. We should expect difficult times. Just like the young Asian believer who said to me, why would I be afraid to die for Jesus? He told me that I would experience persecution. And so if Jesus himself said in John 15, 20, that no servant is greater than his master, if they persecute me, they're going to persecute you too. So Peter, he, he begins managing their expectations by showing the church, by showing us our reality of the Christian life. So, so verse 12 is, is, don't do this, don't be surprised. Verse 13 is the other side of that coin. Do this. Verse 13, he says, but, it's the strongest wording of contrast in the Greek, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. So this next section, I want us to see that, that difficult times call for much rejoicing. Peter says, when you face hardships, don't be surprised. Rejoice! Apart from Christ, that makes absolutely no sense. No sense. It's not natural for us to be happy when things go wrong. We don't default to that. Think about the really last bad day that you had. Maybe your, your car broke down. Maybe the kitchen flooded. Maybe you went to the doctor and they, they told you uh, that your health is declining. What, whatever happened, it was bad. The last thing that, that we tend to think about in those moments is to rejoice. And as I was reflecting on my own life and how um, I see my own sin when I'm uh, in trials and, and difficult times. And I, I asked the question, why is it? Why is it default to, to, to not rejoice? And I think it comes down to, to this. It's just easier to complain. I think it's just easier to complain about my situation. It's, it's really hard to rejoice in trials and tribulation because then it requires me to, to stop thinking about myself and I have to start thinking about others. I, have to, I think about my Lord. So I have to think it's easier to complain. It's hard because we have to, to think about Christ. My default is to focus on me and my problems, but Peter, he's, he's calling the Christian out here. So my dad, he, he was diagnosed um, with esophageal cancer, and uh, the doctor said about 10 years ago, this would have been like, a you know, just give him morphine and, and let him go. 
Uh, there's a couple new studies out, and so uh, he had about a 15% chance to, to survive this cancer. My dad, he's, he's the, one of the most godly men I know on the face of the earth. And, and word got around Paducah, Kentucky, where I grew up, uh, that, that Dale Hancock has esophageal cancer, this seemingly terminal cancer. And, and my parents' next-door neighbor, his name is Tom, and, and uh, Tom looks at my dad. He doesn't know Jesus, um, very successful man, but he has no, no relationship with, with Christ. And he looks at my dad and says, Dale, you're, you're such a good person. Why aren't you angry at this? Why aren't you mad that you have cancer? This terrible thing has happened to you, and you're not mad. And that's making me mad. And my dad responds. He says, Tom, I'm not a good person. I just know Jesus. And in fact, cancer has actually brought me closer to my God. And it's made my marriage stronger, and it's allowed me to share Jesus with other people. Can I share Jesus with you? My my father had all the reason in the world to complain about his circumstance, right? Instead, he he looks at his circumstance and he rejoices in the midst of it as he sits in chemo radiation chairs with people who are also dying and he's telling them about eternity. He's giving them hope in Christ. Thankfully, my my father is is now more than seven seven years cancer-free. He's still telling people about Jesus. So Peter says, when you face trials of any kind, rejoice, rejoice. This is so beautiful. This truth is so beautiful. As Christians, the reason that we can rejoice is because our hope is not placed in the here and now, but eternity. So we we don't have to be dictated by our current circumstances because we trust the one who controls our current circumstance. That allows the Christian, allows us to trust the one who controls the here and now. But Peter has a hard truth in this. And he says this in in verse 19. He says that, that God sometimes wills his children to suffer. Verse 19 says, Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Something that I've learned is that I need to realize that sometimes suffering can be the best thing to happen to us. But how how can the Bible really say that? How can the Bible say that, that suffering can be good? The difficult times can calls for much rejoicing. It's because when, when we rejoice in our suffering, there are three glorious truths that are revealed. Number one, when we rejoice in suffering, you are given a stage and a microphone to display the glorious truth of Christ. You're given a stage and a mic to display Christ to the world. Have you noticed that when when Christians suffer, that the world watches? They want to know. Christians say that they trust in Jesus and that Jesus is everything that they need. They don't need anything else. Let's see if it really is true. Let's see if if what they say is how they're going to live it out. I think of uh, the singer-songwriter Stephen Curtis Chapman. He's from my hometown, 
and he um, experienced this tragic, tragic thing where um, they had adopted and um, their son had run over their adopted daughter and resulted in death. And so you've got this turmoil taking place uh, in his life. And, and, and what is the world just watches him. They see what, how is Stephen Curtis Chapman going to respond in this moment? You see that Stephen Curtis Chapman used every ounce of his being to make much of Jesus. They saw Jesus through the suffering of Stephen. And through our suffering, we get to show that Jesus is greater than every circumstance that we can face. Number two, when we rejoice in suffering, you are inevitably drawn closer to Christ. And just think think about this. I've never heard anyone in my entire life say this. The, The deepest, the rarest, the most satisfying joys of my life have come in times of ease and comfort. Never heard it. Because it's not true. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, one of my heroes, he says this, they who dive in the sea of affliction bring up rare pearls. Right? It's in those moments of despair. It's in those moments of desperation that we experience the sweetness of Christ. It's in those moments that we can dive deep into the immense love of Christ because our dependency is no longer on us. We place our dependency on Him. It's got to be. Number three, when we rejoice in suffering, you identify with the God-man, Jesus Christ. Look at verse 13 and 14. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you're blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. And so when we experience any any degree of persecution or, or any trials that come in our life and we rejoice because of it or in spite of it, it won't make sense to rejoice unless we know Jesus, which then tells our hearts, it gives us evidence, guys. It gives us evidence that we really belong to the King of Kings because I can't rejoice apart from Christ. It wouldn't make sense for me to be happy in the midst of trials. When we identify with Jesus, it gives us evidence that we're, we're a child of God. Hebrews twelve six says that the Lord he disciplines those whom he loves and he chastises everyone he receives as a son. And so as faithful Christians, when, when we experience trials and tribulations, and when we do, we get to rejoice because we get a platform to talk about Christ because the world's watching. And we, we have a mic to tell them about Jesus. Number two, we're drawn closer to Jesus. Number three, we identify with the God-man, Jesus Christ. Peter does put a condition on this, though. He puts a, a condition on verse 15. He says, but let none of you suffer as a, a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a meddler. He says, not all suffering is created equal. But we know that, right? We know that. Like, if I got arrested for robbing a grocery store um, and I went to jail, that's not persecution. That's not suffering for Christ. Or uh, if you're, if you know somebody that just loves to just argue 
the scriptures for the sake of arguing, and there's, there's no love, and then they receive some kind of flack for that. That's not being a, a person. That's not being persecuted. That's just called being a, a meddler. Right? So, so Peter does give a, a condition on that, but he doesn't only tell us what suffering isn't. He tells us how to respond when we do suffer. Look at verse 16. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. The last thing I want us to see here this morning is that in difficult times, don't be ashamed. Be faithful. Says, let him not be ashamed. That word ashamed, it, it, I don't know about you, it hits home with me. I have felt that word many times. Maybe you have too. Maybe you, you get this, the chance to share the gospel with, with a family member or a friend or a co-worker and you, you get it and you know that the, the Holy Spirit has just teed this up for you. They've asked a good question. You could just insert right there of how Christ has changed your life. But what happens? We chicken out. We think, mm, I don't know. Uh, they, they might not like me if I do that. Or I, they, they might think this is weird. I might ruin this relationship. This, this could be awkward. So I'm just, just not going not gonna to do it. Not this time. Maybe next time. So we, we get this, the desire to be liked by people uh, can, can become greater than the desire to be faithful. I know it's true for me. Um, but Jesus doesn't call us to be liked. Jesus doesn't call us to be the perfect evangelist. This should be liberating for us. Jesus called many people to follow him, right? And many people denied him. Very few followed him. Jesus wasn't liked by everyone. In fact, they hated him. <laughs> they crucified him. So why would I or why would we want to be liked at the expense of, of being faithless? God calls us to be faithful, not ashamed. And then he goes on, Peter goes on to tell the church to examine themselves, to examine their hearts, to see, are you being faithful? Are you in the household of God? Verse six, or 17 and 18, for, for, time, for it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. If it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who don't obey the gospel? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So Peter, he, he, he says that judgment begins with the church, and then it goes to outside the church. I think many Christians may have a, a, a wrong view of, of judgment. Peter is saying that it begins with the household of God. So, so we will stand before God. We will give an account for, for our actions. The greatest news of the gospel still remains, still true, that Jesus, who was born of a virgin, who lived a life that was perfect, he never sinned, he didn't have any sin in his life. He took the judgment of God's wrath that we deserved. And he was crucified for our sin. He didn't have, he didn't have any sin. So this cruci- he was crucified for our sin. Bible says that he who knew no sin became sin so that in him we could have the righteousness of God. Therefore in our judgment before God we are sealed with the promise as Romans 8 says that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 
For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. So ultimately, when we stand before Almighty God, we won't bring our, our resumes of good deeds. We won't, we won't tell God of all the ministries that we are part of, of all the mission trips we went on, of, of all the, the people that we helped. We'll stand before Almighty God and we'll say, I trust in Jesus. I trust in Jesus. He's my redeemer. He's my defender. He's my savior. He's our only hope. We have no other name under heaven by which we can enter other than the name of Jesus. He's not only all that we need. Yes, we need him every hour. But Jesus is all we have. There's no one else. No one else can, can, can save us. No one else can, can cover us in their righteousness to stand before Almighty God. Only Jesus can do that. And it's in him that we trust, in his righteousness to be credited to us. And so Peter is calling the church to examine themselves, to say, are you in the household of God? Do you really trust Jesus even when trials and tribulations and, and hardships arise? If we, if we are in the household of God, brothers and sisters in Christ today, we have to ask the question, what are we doing with our salvation? What are we doing with this task? Are we being faithful to the task God has placed in our lives? Are we making much of Jesus in the midst of our trials? Peter concludes this section by kind of summarizing the whole chapter in verse 19. He says, therefore, let those who suffer According to God's will, entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. And as I reflect on even this past year, uh, I think it's easy for us to trust in God when our lives are going well. When all is right with the world, when nothing really is, is happening, but it's when the trials, the difficult times come, the hardships arise that we start asking God, why? What, what's your intent? What's your purpose, God? Why, are you, why am I going through this right now? Why put me through this, Jesus? Why are you allowing this stuff to happen? Peter's saying to us this morning, don't be surprised when hardships happen. He says, rejoice, because God is giving you a stage right now to display Christ, to show that Jesus is greater than current circumstance. It doesn't minimize the circumstance. It just maximizes Christ. He says rejoice because he's drawing you to himself. This is a moment of, of sweetness that we could spend that the creator of the cosmos who made the universe wants your heart. He wants all of you. He'll do whatever it takes to get it even if suffering is involved finally, Peter says, rejoice because he's giving you evidence that you belong to him when you're rejoicing. I pray that his church would be a people who demonstrate their trust in God by rejoicing in every circumstance with thanksgiving. 
that we would look to Jesus in every trial, every hardship, every aspect of our life. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for revealing yourself to us, sinners, and now redeemed by the blood of Christ. Lord, I pray for those in this room who are suffering, who are going through trials like never before. Lord, would you comfort them? As the God of all comfort, would you pour out your grace in extra doses that they may feel your presence? as they cling to the cross, may their lives display the glorious truth of the gospel, that we do not live for the here and now, but Lord, there is an eternity waiting. I want to pray for anyone in this room who does not know Jesus, Lord, I pray that you would convict them, that they would see the glorious, beautiful truth of the gospel, that you came not to save the righteous, but to save the sinner. Lord, I pray that you would do a mighty work here at Red House. Thank you for this church, God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's in worship. Uh, I pray that if there is someone in this room who, who does not have a saving knowledge of Christ, that they would, um, would believe in the gospel this morning. Uh, and if there is any in this room who, who are going through trials uh, right now um, and need prayer, uh, there's going to be a few of us up here that would love to pray with you. To encourage you at this time, let us respond. Stand and sing with us if you will. If you'd like to grab a hymnal, page 305.